Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is the 13th of July, 2023. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You feeling loved this morning? I hope you are. Um, I wish I could, uh, you know, fold over a sheet of paper and cut out a heart and remind you that you are loved today by putting a little Valentine in your pocket. I mean, I realize it's not the 14th of February, but it, it it's it's good to remind everybody every single day um, that they are loved. And so I'm going to remind you right now, you're loved. You are loved with the fierce love of God and God is love. So as we open the word of God today, um, using our growing your faith verse of the day, I want you to be reminded that you are loved by the God who is love. So second John chapter one, verse six says, love means doing what God has commanded. And what has he commanded? (laughs) He has commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the very beginning. So what does it mean um, to love? What does it mean to be loved? What does it mean to love others? What does it mean to operate out of the love of God with which we have been loved? So what does love mean? It's a, it's a worthy conversation that we certainly live in a day and a time when people are very, very confused about love and what love is and what love looks like. And so it's a wonderful opportunity for us to have clarity in our own hearts and minds about the reality of, of love and to express the reality that God is love, but love is not God. Let me say that again. God is love, but love is not God. So love is a verb. Um, Obviously, if it's something that you can do, which this passage of scripture declares, if love is something that you can do, then love is a verb. Love actually means doing. That's how this verse begins. Love means doing what God has commanded. So not just doing anything. Love does not mean just doing anything, uh, whatever pleases us. Love's not hedonism. It's not self-gratification. It's not self-centered in any way. Love is actually other-centered. It is outwardly focused. Love is doing what God has commanded. And so what has God commanded? That we should love and love one another. So it, it might seem a little bit strange to be commanded to love. Thou shalt love. Like that seems like a strange command because we think of love as being something that is motivated out of our feelings But love is actually motivated out of the reality of who God is and what he has done, what he has demonstrated. So we're commanded to love by the one who is love. And we're commanded to love from the one who demonstrates his love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, like way, I mean, when we are, when there was nothing lovely about us, love died for us. The demonstration of love in the sacrifice of Christ, in the coming of Christ from heaven to earth and then from earth to the cross and the cross to the grave and the grave to the sky, the love of God demonstrated in Christ Jesus is the pattern of love through, by, and in which we are commanded to love one another. So love is a command. It's a good reminder today that um, it's the new command that Jesus gives us as well. A new command I give you. It's actually not new at all that you should love one another. Um, Love is the nature of God. God is love. And I think a good reminder today that while God is love, love is not God. And so if you see evidence in your own life and in the culture today that people have elevated love to the place of God, I want you to look at the kind of love that they have um, sought to put in, in the place of the one who is love, because then it just becomes idolatry. So good, um, good reminder today in our Growing Your Faith verse of the day. If you're not signed up to receive it in your inbox, you can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. While you're there, I'm going to encourage you to sign up to join us in reading the Bible together. We embark on a, a study of 2 Timothy, uh, just a, just Wow, just a couple of weeks from now, and it's just going to be a two-week study, and so great opportunity for you to get your free study guide at MyFaithRadio.com today. We are going to um, have a conversation with our friend Ben Johnson here in just a moment. We're going to bring into focus uh, the nearly million people in America who are living in what we would describe as unsheltered or homeless, and we're going to try to get our hearts and minds around what is happening um, among people who are living outside of the context of a home um, and what the what is really the primary issue and how ought we as Christians to be responding to so that conversation up next with our friend Ben Johnson you're listening to mornings with Carmen all righty our friend Ben Johnson is back with us this morning. You know him as the rights writer. He's also a senior reporter and editor at the Washington Stand. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Carmen. Oh, it's always lovely uh, to hear to hear your voice. Um, so it doesn't really matter where in America you, you live today. Um, I know that I see more and more individuals who are clearly living unsheltered. They are... Um, they're clearly what we would describe as homeless. It's a rising crisis. And I will say, Ben, increasingly, I um, I feel less and less equipped to know precisely how to respond. And part of that, I'll just confess, is because it. my perception is, whether or not this is true, my perception is um, the people I'm now encountering who are homeless are more aggressive um, more demanding, putting themselves um, in the middle of the lane, not necessarily on the side of the street. Um, and there, there is a uh, there's there seems to be there seems to, a pivot feels like it has taken place. And so I just want to continue to lift up the the conversation about this. And you're not the only person that we're going to talk with us about this. But I thought that having this conversation with you today would be really helpful. You and I have both read an article about, you know, the unsheltered reality 
Um, and there's lots of legal implications to homelessness as well. So can we just unpack or pull on whatever thread um, you want to start with this morning on this topic? Oh, absolutely. This is a topic that is, as you say, it's so important, uh, particularly when if you're in a major urban area, uh, the homeless epidemic is absolutely unavoidable. And particularly on the West Coast, uh, at least 50% of all homeless people are on the West Coast, many of them in California. Uh, there are unique challenges to actually uh, taking care of the problem of homelessness in those areas. It's incredibly expensive to build. Uh, there are far more regulations and ordinances that regulate where you can build and so on. And so uh, there is already a housing crisis. Uh, when you have an economic downturn, as we have had in, in the various places over the last few years, then that emphasizes people who uh, uh, otherwise would have been able to make it end up on the streets uh, often as a as a family but uh, one of the uh, one of the issues uh, as you mentioned is is a legal implication uh there was a case in 2018 uh that went to the ninth circuit court of appeals uh, which right now is fairly evenly divided it used to be very the the most left-wing court in america but now is basically evenly divided uh over the last four years and the decision came out just uh, uh uh, more or less uh, what you would consider a party line vote. But um, um, in 2018, there was a decision called Martin v. Boise. Boise, Idaho had passed an ordinance that would fine people who were homeless uh, if if they were out all night uh, and did not move along when an officer told them to do so. Uh, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, in a very contested decision, uh, ruled that that was considered cruel and unusual punishment under the Eighth Amendment. Um, now, I, I think legally that's somewhat dubious because the Eighth Amendment was uh, trying to deal with the form of punishment itself, not why you were punishing someone. Uh, so, in other words, you couldn't whip someone or torture someone. That was the intention of the Eighth Amendment. But uh, you you can argue it was uh, not not a good law and, and that um, uh, you had to have some other uh, mechanism for dealing with it. I, I just don't think that was the right way to go about, uh, about it under the legalese. But what they were saying was these homeless people have nowhere else to go. Uh, and so if they have nowhere else to go, then uh, it's cruel and unusual to find or punish them uh, for the fact that they exist here. Uh, that's, as we say, there there is a homeless crisis uh, and there is a shortage of housing. Uh, there, there are a couple of legal questions that would arise here. First of all, how would a police officer determine if the person really had nowhere else to go? Uh, it, it, you would almost have to know that individual personally, know his circumstances or her circumstances. Uh, idea that most likely you would have encountered them before and offered them somewhere else to go, a, a shelter or something like that. But then you would also have to monitor the exact levels of every homeless shelter in the area to see if they could take someone that night. Uh, it would be very difficult to implement. Uh, so, so there are obviously questions about uh, that aspect of it. What a lot of this comes down to, uh, frankly, is that many of the people who are on the, on the streets today uh, are suffering from very unique challenges, for the most part, uh, a combination of mental illness uh, and, and addiction. And those are really the, the core of what is driving this. And the government is ill-prepared to deal with this. The institution that should be dealing with it, first and foremost, is the church and paraliturgical ministries parachurch organizations that go out, charities and uh, and organizations taking the government. 
Ben Holson, did we lose Ben Johnson? And uh, to be able to care for themselves. All right, I think we uh, we we lost you there for just a moment, Ben. Um, but I I think we um, we heard the. Um, uh, the crux of the matter, and that is the the need for a comprehensive and church response and parachurch response or paraliturgical response language I really like as well. Um, I'm going to encourage folks if you want to check out a model of um, of how this might work in terms of not only private and public partnerships but partnerships with the um, the the Christian community, uh, the church and parachurch organizations. I do think the city of Orlando. Um, has a really good model for how to approach this. Um, they describe it as caring for those experiencing homelessness, which begins to take into account the wide diversity of reasons that people end up in experiencing homelessness and then um, responding to the issues of, let's say, um, an unhoused mother and her children because of domestic violence, dealing with that family in a very, very different way than they would be dealing with, let's say, an individual um, man who is suffering with a mental illness and maybe an addiction um, who is on the street for uh, for a different reason and needs a different constellation of resources brought to bear um, on on the challenges that he's facing. So I appreciate the model that um, that Orlando's got in place, and you can check it out at orlando.gov and just look for what they're doing, um, caring for those experiencing homelessness. We're going to continue our conversation with Ben Johnson here in just a moment. You know him as the rights writer. Um, we're going to turn to a piece that he has posted at washingtonstand.com. Um, it's related to Taiwan. And so, yeah, get your get your globe out and let us um, let us consider what is happening halfway around the world and the implications it has for those of us here in the United States of America. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up, they come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson, senior reporter and editor at The Washington Stand. You can find what we're about to talk about at WashingtonStand.com. Ben, I'm looking at your piece about China and the threat it poses to Taiwan. Talk with us about um, what, what we absolutely anticipate happening in sometime in the next 17 months. 
What uh, several p- sources in Washington, D.C. have made known to us and uh, and have made known publicly, for that matter, is that China sees its prime opportunity to invade Taiwan coming up in the next 17 months, a full-scale invasion of the island. And uh, matter of fact, the president of Taiwan, President Tsai, uh, has said that she fully anticipates not only that China will uh, likely go through with an invasion, but reading between the lines, it seems that uh, she expects that they will actually succeed in landing on the island. Uh, this is this is what's sort of new and unique. Uh, there are a whole series of challenges to why this might be, but uh, uh, when every year uh, the Taiwanese military forces have air drills and uh, simulations uh, in order to prepare for this kind of uh, a full-scale invasion from uh, from China, it's almost always based at sea, and they expect to stop the uh, the Chinese forces, the People's Liberation Army uh, and the People's Liberation Navy, before they reach the island. Uh, for the first time, they are actually drilling on the island and they are drilling at the main airport the Taoyuan International Airport uh so they that's going to be coming up a little bit later this month but it's it's an indication they believe that the United States cannot help them and will not be able or willing to help them uh they have good reason to believe this uh, we're three and a half years behind on providing them with weapons they have already paid for defensive weapons which uh, we have uh, a legal obligation to provide to them uh, we have since 1979 and we are behind in that. Also, it's it's become known through the press that uh, the United States itself actually has a, a low supply of munitions. We've supplied so much to Ukraine over the last uh, year, a little bit more than a year, to keep that war going that uh, our own munition stockpiles are low. And some of those are the exact same weapons that we sell elsewhere. Now, where this is really terrifying for the United States, they have done war games. They always do a, a simulation of an attack. And they show that we'd run out of certain kinds of missiles, which are absolutely pivotal for defending our Navy, our naval forces, the Sixth Fleet that are in the South China Sea. Uh, we run out of those in about one week. In order to replace them, we need two years. So there are going to be massive casualties if this breaks out. Uh, so this is this is an area that is well worth praying. Of course, we always pray for China, the, the one of the world's most uh, populous countries, all right it sounds like we're having a little bit of a connection problem there with ben johnson i think my follow-up question to ben is going to be who benefits uh, it it may yeah yeah it's 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 absolutely pivotal so ben um i'm going to ask this question i'm when uh, when i look at a situation like this you know i'm I'm wondering what the worldview motivations are and then what the worldview implications are. And I'm, I'm asking a question about, you know, that rises out of what you have shared, which is like, we've made these commitments. Why are we not keeping them? Like keeping, keeping the promises that we've made, keeping the commitments that we've made seems very important to me. I also want to know who benefits. Like it, it feels like there must be somebody, some group that would benefit if we were to, I don't know, I don't know. Is it, is it, is it, is it that we don't, we, we aren't financially motivated enough to keep China from attacking Taiwan because it feels like we have a real dependency upon what is produced in Taiwan, particularly when it comes to, um, to chips and things that we need to function, um, as a digital economy. So uh, who benefits? 
Well, I, I think it's very much in America's benefit to uh, to make sure that we actually carry through with these commitments. First of all, to, to show that we will keep our commitments to our long-term allies, uh, and particularly in Taiwan, where they're fighting for their freedom, uh, where uh, there there is a significant Christian population there as well. But also uh, that it, a well-armed Taiwan could could perhaps deter China from going through with a military invasion, and that would save lives. Uh, when when there's the idea of, that there will be parity uh, and the cost seems high enough, then China will not go through with a war, and that saves lives on every side. So that's that's our, our prime interest is saving lives and assuring that war does not occur in the first place. I believe it was uh, the art of war that says the supreme act of warfare is to win a war without having to fight. So mm-hmm. peace should be our, our key goal. And in order to do that, I think deterrence is our, our main strategy going forward. And it would show that the United States actually keeps its word. So uh, the, it, it sometimes uh, for a Christian worldview seems uh, almost counterintuitive. Why would we sell weapons if we want peace? But uh, in, in this case, uh, having a well-armed Taiwan and, and a well-armed uh, uh, series of American allies in Japan, South Korea, Australia, all of that keeps a military balance that keeps peace rather than uh, breaking uh, into a warfare. So peace through strength is something that would aid the peace and stability of the entire region and the entire world. So um, David Rowe is the regional director of the Lausanne uh, East Asian region, and um, and he has offered up a specific prayer in relationship to this. And so I'm going to uh, pray it aloud with us this morning. So, um, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we lift up not only East Asia, but we lift up specifically Taiwan, the people of Taiwan. We lift up fellow believers in China. We pray that you would watch over them as temperatures rise, both, uh, both physically and politically. We ask Father that you would bring peace. We ask for their leaders to exercise wise judgment, and we ask for a coming together um, that areas of peace would be found. We pray especially for President Xi Jinping and the Chinese government, and we ask that you would lead them to a place of caution. Father, that you would ultimately lead them to a place of faith. We pray for governments around the world, in particular the U.S. government, and the U.S. military, and we ask, Father, that um, that we would exercise wonderful, perfect wisdom. Those are the words of David Rowe, and we echo them this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ben, I think that uh, being mindful of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in East Asia and continuing to ask, what would you have us do? And they consistently say the same thing, and that is pray. And so let us, um, let us this morning, you and I be mutually committed to that and let us uh, call others to be praying as well. Thank you so much as always for joining us. And thank you for the prayer. God bless you. Yeah. Likewise, brother. All right. That's our brother, Ben Johnson. He's a senior reporter and editor at the Washington stand. He also tweets as the rights writer. You're listening to mornings with Carmen. Let's go upwards with Max Lucado. Hey, do you remember your dreams? Do you did you have a dream last night? If so, do you remember it? I I'm not very good at remembering my dreams. There are a few like recurrent 
right on the verge of nightmares that I, I mean, they're not really like nightmares and like the scary sense of a nightmare because I don't really fill my mind with those kinds of images. And so hopefully they're, you know, they're not there in the subconscious to push themselves forward when I'm asleep. But I do have like a couple of weird recurring troublesome dreams. And one of them is showing up for a final exam um, for a class that I apparently didn't attend very often and a, an exam for which I had not prepared and arriving at the exam after it's already over. So what do you what do you think this is about? What do you think is going on in my subconscious? Anyway, here I am with you this morning. Thank you so much for being up and Adam um, with me today uh, on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Kathy Branzell ordinarily joins us um, during this uh, during this next segment from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. And she always brings us glory stories, and she's always so faithful to encourage us to pray and to pray with and for us. Well, today, our friend Kathy Branzell um, needs our prayers. So we want to be praying that God would be upholding her um, as a daughter. She is tending to her mother in what she anticipates will be her mom's last days here on earth before she goes all the way home to the father's house to um, to dwell with him forevermore. And she's also then tending to the needs of her dad, who um, is preparing for the loss of his beloved, um, but also dealing with health concerns of his own. So let's be praying today for one another and the concerns that, you know, are heaviest upon our particular hearts today. So you might be dealing with an issue with a friend or a child or your own health or a parent. Um, and so I want to be lifting you up in prayer. I know that you will join me in lifting our friend Kathy Branzell up in prayer today. Let's be praying today for people who pray for us. Let's be praying today for people who lead us in prayer. So if you haven't prayed for your pastor yet today, why don't you do that? Um, and how about praying today for whoever it was that taught you to pray? <laughs> who taught you to pray? Um, you know, who taught you to fold your hands and close your eyes and bow your head and say your grace? Who, who taught you how to um, ask God's blessing before you closed your eyes at night? And who taught you how to give the Lord his due in prayer every hour of every day? Who, who taught you those things? Let's be praying today for them and thanking God for their influence in our lives. We're going to talk about dreams and the dreams you're dreaming and whether or not you're dreaming impossible dreams, your visions, your hopes, all of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. What are you dreaming about this morning? What are you dreaming about these days? Are you familiar with the concept of the American dream? I'm sure you are. Um, so over the course of time, the American dream has been equated with economic achievement, wealth, even a white picket fence. But these days, um, amidst high levels of inflation, nationwide consumer debt, and the prospect that emerging generations are going to have a really hard time doing as well, and certainly not better than their parents, this concept of wealth accumu accumulation actually feels really, really hard for people to achieve. And so if you have young adults in your life, um, their American dream or their dream may be very different than the dream you dreamed when you were their age. So that is a really good conversation to have today um, with somebody who maybe is in late high school, they're, they're college age, they're, um, they're in their very early career. Why don't you just ask them, 
what do you dream about 10 years down the road? What do you dream about when you're my age? Because, you know, that's probably a pretty good gap of time. You might be, you might be surprised. Um, feeling happy in life is more common, the answer. Feel, feeling the freedom to follow my own um, passions that's a much more popular answer than I want, um, you know, a house and a car and a picket fence and a couple of kids and a stable marriage and a, um, you know, well, and a happy wife. Like that ought to be, Jim, if you're listening, right? That's on the ha- that's on the dream list. Fifty six percent of people actually say that wealth is still a motivator, um, but they only want to make enough money to then have a comfortable lifestyle. Well, what does that mean? Like, at, at what level would enough be enough? It's my experience that once wealth accumulation begins, there's not really a, a, a set end in sight where you say, oh, well, that's enough. And, and I'm, I think I'm encouraging us today to dream different kinds of dreams. Like, what's the dream that God would have you dream? What's God dreaming for your future? What does, what does your life look like aligned with what God has dreamt about you and for you. You know, God conceived of you before the foundations of the earth. So God's got a dream. God's got something in mind. He certainly loves you as his child, but he's also claimed you on purpose and for a purpose. He's got something in his mind and on his heart for you to do. Do you think it's owning a home and accumulating assets? I, I, I have a hard time imagining that like that's a God-sized dream. God certainly wants your needs to be provided for, and in his providence, he will find maybe very unique ways to do that. But this idea that we would mark out success, that we would define our lives by what we own, by what we accumulate, by the value of the material value of things, I'm actually encouraged that that is growing less important to emerging generations. When you talk with young people about what they're dreaming about, I do have a concern that fewer of them are dreaming about being married than dreamed about it in the past. Um, The median age for marriage is getting uh, higher and higher and higher. It has gone in the 1970s. The first marriage was normally at the age of like 23 if you were a guy and 21 if you were a girl. Today, the average first time that a man walks down the aisle is when he's 30. And for women, it's when they're 28. And you say to yourself, well, you know, I mean, that's not, that's not all a bad thing. You know, they've, they've got more together. They know more about who they are. Um, but let me just tell you this. An increasing percentage of people are just never marrying. And if you're not getting married, the the stability for society and the making of families, right, the having and the raising of children's children is compromised as well. And so I want you to think about what you dream, what emerging generations who you know, what they are dreaming. And if they are not dreaming um, a God-sized dream and a God-aligned dream, then how can you start walking with them at this stage of their life and help them see what God sees, not only in them, but what God sees down the road for them. As young adults are um, waiting longer than their parents to make the kinds of life decisions 
um, that we might say, well, that kind of describes who you are and where you're going and what you're going to be. Um, parents tend to prioritize finances even when um, young people do not. And so just because you're dreaming something for your child or your grandchild, that doesn't mean that they're dreaming it. It also doesn't necessarily mean that your dream for them is God aligned. I remember um, my friend John Boone, he's with the Lord now, but um, John Boone was one of those old Southern guys who, I mean, yeah, I mean like from like the Boone, Boone people, like, yeah. So you just got to think about that kind of guy. And John Boone um, loved his family fiercely and loved the Lord even more fiercely. And so he would, he would pray that God would use his people and he would, you know, he had a missionary desire and he supported missions around the world. And then his granddaughter, uh, got married and she and Pratt felt called by God to move to Nicaragua full time. And that's where they're raising his great grandchildren. And John was like, what is going on? Like, they have all the material advantages that anybody could ever want, and they should be living here. And, and I said, John, they're, they're living into the dream that you dreamed. Like, you have this passion for people to be served by God around the world, and now he's called your own, your own granddaughter in this direction. He's like, well, you've got to be careful what you pray for, don't you? And I said, yes, you have to be very careful. If you're going to live this God-aligned life and you're going to dream the kinds of dreams that God dreams— your people are going to be deployed all over the world for the advancement of the gospel. I experience it in my own family. And, it, and, it, and I'll tell you that it, it leads to some confusion for some parts of my family that I have a cousin, Jennifer, who lives full time on the mission field in Togo, West Africa. And her husband died on the mission field and she's raised her boys there. And she's, and, and I just confess, I mean, mom, if you're listening, you know, you say this, so I'm not telling anything out of school, but my mom keeps saying, why doesn't Jenny come home? I'm like, mom, Jenny is home. She's living in the place that God has called her to invest her life that other people halfway around the world might know Jesus. Like that, that's, uh, it's the fulfillment of a dream that I confess to you. My faithful uh, grandmother, Robina, prayed, right? I think I do. I live into the dream that God had for me out of the prayers of my grandmother, so how are you praying, not just for the generation that you know, but for the generation that you do not yet know, but God already knows? And then are you willing to accept as young people walk into the dreams that God is dreaming for them? Are you willing to accept that God answered your prayer in a way that you never dreamed? We're going to talk next about um, the 40 million Americans who have left the church in the last 25 years. So this is like the great de-churching. And so I just want to ask this question right now. Are you one of them? Do you, um, do you actively participate in, support the work of a local congregation of which you are an integral worshiping, praying, serving member. This is not a question of whether or not you're on the role of a church. Like, you know, if I did a national survey and I looked for your name on a church register, this is not, would I find your name? That, that's not what I'm talking about. Are you integrally knit into the life of a worshiping community? Like a body of believers to whom you belong and that when you're not there, they suffer because of the absence of, um, of, because of your absence. 
That's what I'm asking. Not asking if you're a member of the universal body of Christ, big C. I, I, if, if, you are, uh, if you are counting on Christ, then I know that you're a part of the universal body of believers. I'm asking if you're actively engaged in the life of a church, small C. Are you churched? Are you churching? Or are you a part of the great de-churching that is underway in America today? Churched, unchurched, de-churched, looking for one of those answers. You can text me 877-933-2484 and we'll talk about uh, the great de-churching here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, uh, Barry in Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota, is uh, dreaming the same dream or having the same nightmare that I'm having. He's like, what's up with that? Didn't study, didn't attend class dream. He says, I dream about it once a month, but I never skip school or class. Okay, I don't know if I'm going to uh, uh, confess whether or not I ever skipped school or class. Um, thank you for that input. Um, Jim in Simsbury, Connecticut, good morning to you. And yes, the person who asked, hey, when are you going to talk about the Sound of Freedom movie? Um, Yeah, we're going to talk about it tomorrow with Adam Holtz. So yes, I have it teed up for conversation. I just wanted to have that conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. And that's something we do every Friday. So you can look forward to that tomorrow. Jessica uh, says, um, I'm, I'm in the churching group, actively churching. Debbie says, churching, serving regularly. Um, another friend here says, I'm trying to find the right place. I'd like to be churching. Okay, first of all, I love the spirit in which you're answering the question. So you've got, you've, you're like getting it. Like it's a verb, right? It's not, do you go to church? Do you have a church? Are you on a church role? Are you churching? Are you actively participating? Are you a part of the warp and woof of the life of a local congregation? Church attendance in the United States is actually lower than before COVID. So there's a new study um, out by Gallup. 31% of Americans who responded said they have attended church, synagogue, mosque, or temple in the past seven years. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. I read that wrong. <laughs> Don't panic. Seven days. Okay. 31% of respondents have attended some kind of service of worship in some kind of worshiping community. Uh, in the last seven days. So that that actually, you might say, you know what, that, that actually seems pretty high to me, 31%, um, one in three. Well, let me tell you that depending on where you live, those percentages are wildly different. So for those of you who live in the extreme northwestern part of the United States of America, yeah, it's like one in 10. In the southeastern United States, um, excluding Florida, um, the percentage is um, is still around 50% people getting up uh, on an av- in an average week at some point and making their way to 
church. So there is still a quote unquote Bible Belt effect, but that percentage used to be like 80% and now it's 50 or where it used to be 30%, it's now it's 10. So um, you have to look at these percentages and the trends and the direction that they're trending. So you can say to yourself, um, I know churches that have closed in my community. My, my guess is you know where there is a vacant church property. And I guess I want you to start praying about how God might be calling a new generation of believers to begin churching in that place. I might call it, uh, you know, what does it look like to reseed the soil of what is now fallow ground? Like there once was this productive, life-giving, enriching, worshiping community in that place and in that space. And my guess is that property, that land is still, um, you know, still reserved for that kind of religious purpose in your community. Now, here's what's going to happen if believers don't catch a vision, capture a vision for planting a new church in that place. Here's what's going to happen. It's going to get bought by somebody who turns it into a bar. That's the, that's the number one reuse of vacant church property across America. They get turned into bars. I don't know. But that makes me incredibly sad. So, um, so capture a vision. Um, as you as you're driving around, and you say to yourself, "Well, I'm not actively in a church. I'm a part of the current de-churching, but I am a believer, and I do believe that we're all called into the mission of Christ in the world. I am His co-missionary. So, how is it that in this generation, God wants to build up the church in and through, and maybe even by you? And you say to yourself, "I'm not a church planter. I can't start a church. Why not? I mean, you and you and two or three other people." absolutely could. And maybe you should. So I want you to see, I want you to test this this week. I want you to drive around in your community and I want you to consider those vacant church properties. And I want you to ask yourself, is God dreaming of a worshiping community, a a group of believers in Jesus in this place as a demonstration of the kingdom of heaven to the rest of the world as an incubator of ministry, as a place where real human needs are going to be met and where people are going to um, encounter the gospel by encountering gospel people in gospel community. Like could, I mean, you know, I've, I've been talking about this because we've been together examining once you see We had Jeff Christofferson on just again earlier this week, and we've been unpacking, like, what might the church look like in the next generation of Americans among us? What might it look like? And these 40 million people who have left the church have left for a reason. They have left for cause. But a high percentage of them still consider themselves Christians. So what does the church, what is the church going to look like when they regather to plant communities of faith in, um, in the places where God has established them. Um, so this great de-churching is underway. We're going to talk uh, next month with a couple of pastors from Orlando, Florida, who actually, they went so far as to commission uh, a national study on this question, on this conversation. And the 40 million people who've left the church actually break down into some recognizable groups and categories. And so you probably um, fall into one of those. And my guess is if you're listening to this program, you, you fall into the category of 
well, I didn't really plan to leave the church, but I left the church because, well, either my feelings got hurt or I disagreed with somebody. Like that is that is on the list somewhere. I've been hurt and now I just hold that hurt against against the whole body of Christ and, instead of recognizing that people in the body of Christ are broken and make mistakes. The other category of people who have left the church and yet I still suspect are listening to programs like this are the people who, you know what, it just kind of, I just kind of fell off my schedule. I moved to a new place. I didn't, you know, I didn't find a worshiping community that I felt like met my needs. And I failed to recognize that if I'm not there as a member of the body, then that body is lacking this member. It's literally like a dismembered body. Who wants a dismembered? I don't want my body to be dismembered. Jesus doesn't want his body to be dismembered, right? So you got to get back in there. If you are de-churched, um, I want you to get back in there. All right, come and see and then go and die. That's the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer described it. It's the way he described the Christian life. Come and see. Come and see and experience and revel in the glories of God. and Bask in his glow and immerse yourself in his word and be filled with his spirit. Come and see. Taste and see. And then go and die. Die to self. Die to self-ambition advance the kingdom purposes of God in your generation, recognizing that time here is short and eternity is long. Time here is short and eternity is long. All right. I think that we have a broken theology of the body and I want us to be restored in thinking about who we are as individual members of the body of Christ And then I want us to think about how integral, how important it is that we knit ourselves back into a body of believers. Because if we don't, then that local body is literally dismembered. Have you ever thought about yourself that way? To church or to not, to church or not to church. That just can't be the Christian question. All right, we're going to continue our conversation here together in just a moment. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, I was just reminded um, on the text line, um, you know, somebody said, hey, I saw that Jesus Revolution movie and it just occurs to me, you know, what God can do with one person whose heart he captures, who wants to go out and share the gospel with others. And you know, he gives this brief testimony on the text line about about Chuck Smith. I wanted to um, alert you if you hadn't if you hadn't heard about this and you didn't know about it, 4,500 people were baptized at a California beach um, last week. So this, they attended this mass baptism event at Pirates Cove Beach in California. Um, uh, and Greg Laurie, our, our friend, Pastor Greg Laurie, um, was there. And I just, you know, anyway, it's, it, it's a follow-on to the Jesus Revolution movie and what is happening, um, you know, as God fans the flame of revival in individual lives and in communities across the country. And so that is some great and good news. But that also means there's 4,500 new believers who need to be discipled. And that's just in one place. Who's the new believer in your community that needs to be discipled? And you are a person who's further along the journey than they are. So could you go back and catch up with them and walk this stretch of the journey with them as they... um, walk out their faith in the world that God so loves. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. 
If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.